Hey, Nate, what's going on, buddy? Hey, ready for all these many, many, many miniatures for us to cover that we haven't got a chance to touch on recently. Oh, did you not get my memo? I thought we'd just, you know, talk about Rogue One a little bit today since we didn't cover it last time. You're serious? Well, yeah, I mean, I figure we could hit the miniature stuff on the next episode. Okay, I'll just put these here then. Wait. Uh, did you break them? Well, maybe, but that's your fault, not mine, boss. We got insurance, don't we? Um, no, I passed on that. Uh, budget cuts. Yeah, way to use that open enrollment, boss. Yeah, I'm probably in trouble. Enjoy your stay. Hey, what have we here? I suggest a new strategy. You truly belong here with us, fucking club. Welcome, scoundrels, to another episode of Cloud City Casino, your destination for Star Wars and gaming. And uh, this week we're going to change it up a little bit, because, I mean, we're, what, are we like two weeks behind now since the movie actually dropped? I think, something like that? Something like that, but as soon as you said how far behind we are, I my brain went <laughs> and wasn't even t thinking about the movie, just thinking, my God, we've got a lot of miniatures and stuff to cover, but that's okay! That's okay, we'll just leave them on the floor. That's okay, yeah. We'll just tiptoe around those until uh, we can get around to it. But, uh, of course, I'm Michael Morris, and uh, that other voice you hear is Nathan P. Butler. Um, but, yeah, I think we're, we're going to cover Rogue One since we haven't really. We, we sort of uh, teased it a little bit on the last episode, but um, I, don't know, I, I think we should discuss it because um, everybody really seems to like it, and I don't understand why. Yeah, you're the naysayer, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm being a little trollish. Um, I, I will say I'm a little more... Wait, wait. What? You're being trollish. Is it the hair? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I have, I have a beautiful mane of hair, sir. <laughs> it is definitely a mane, sir. <laughs> oh, um... But, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly kidding. It's, uh... I guess we can just sort of get into it. Um, did you see it on opening night? We did. We went to, we didn't go to the first possible showing, but we went at uh, 1045 on the Thursday night and saw it in 3D. And then I saw it once since then in a regular uh, 2D where I actually was able to take my dad and stepmom who are visiting from Indiana who hadn't seen a Star Wars movie in years to get their impression of it too. Okay. Uh, what, what was their thoughts on it? Like overall in the end, they like it or. It's interesting. Cause I, I kind of asked them like, what did they remember about the star Wars films before? And like, you know, was there any, and they asked me, is there anything we need to know? And I'm just like, nah, really just, you know, how the first one opened and that there was the death star is pretty much all you got to remember. Cause it doesn't require a lot of background. And, uh, they were both pleasantly surprised. They really liked it. Uh, they'll probably see it again once it comes out on home videos. So, uh, I was kind of shocked. The biggest thing that I wanted to see was not just sort of what their general impression was, but could they pick out the digitally recreated actors? And they could not. They were shocked to find out that, for instance, Peter Cushing wasn't actually in the movie. And they were not quite as shocked about Carrie Fisher as Leia, but they thought they had cast a lookalike, not that it was CG. So uh, I 
you know, the things that we as fans sort of took for granted having heard about in rumors beforehand, general audiences may not have picked up on because they're not as on top of the the nerdy details uh, as we geeks are. Right. Did they Did think- I cross the streams with nerd and geek there? Did they think that uh, some of the the other more uh, robotic actors were were the CGI recreations? No, no, they, <laughs> I kid, they, I kid. They they like the they like the characters. I like it. You this is this is going to be just like aftermath. I think. Yeah, so like some of those other words. Just like what are you thinking? Because I. I tried very hard to hide my disbelief when you were here playing the uh, <laughs> VR mission and told me Rogue One was kind of, yeah. And I'm sitting there like, them's fighting words. Yeah, I know. But that's that's fine because that's uh, it's going to be a fun discussion. So we're in the South, it's time for a duel. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, with pistols or? I don't know. What do people in the South duel with now? Chili? Um, NASCAR? Oh God! Okay, no duels. <laughs> All right. So when I when I first saw it, I was extremely tired. I was so tired. I I didn't even think that I was going to go see it. Like we bought tickets, but I told Christine, I'm like, look, I'm like, we've got tickets. Um, but it was with uh, Bruce and Riley and Bethany uh, down at Atlantic Station, um, and I was like, you know, I just I don't. I don't know if like that's that's kind of a haul right after I get off work, and you know, I I had to show up at work at like five thirty that morning. I got off like maybe six o'clock that afternoon, um, and then turn around and had to be down in Atlanta at seven. And basically, I come home. She's got some uh, Bojangles chicken like sitting right there for me to eat. I tear into that, and then we pretty much head straight down. Um, I was so tired that it, and we saw it in 3D that I would like kind of just lean over and just kind of like rest my head on her shoulder, which sucks for 3D because then everything gets all blurry, and I'm like, eh, I gotta pick my head back up to see it, see the screen. Um, so after watching at that point, I'm like. I didn't, and and that was the most like that was the point I was the most critical of it. Um, I've seen it since uh, two more times, and and I seem to like it more every time I do see it. Um, but that that was the thing is I was like I don't want to say too much because I I was so tired I didn't want to just you know be grumpy and and tired and that be what it actually was and not that I didn't like the movie. Yeah, you definitely need to be able to stay entirely awake to be able to appreciate the film. Um, ours was kind of a weird one because this came out basically uh, – it was the end of the semester for our students. Basically what we do for our students since it's an online program is we say, okay, you basically have until the Friday before the last week, before finals start. Because uh, we always know that there are going to be some students who wind up lagging behind, wait to the last minute, and it's just not a system where you can really zip through things at the last minute because all the instructions, uh, all the, the the material is in there as videos and examples and stuff that they watch, and you can't fast forward through them because that's the content to them. So if they try to do it too much at the end, they're just going to run out of time. So we set the the date as the 16th knowing that more than likely what's going to happen is we'll have about probably a 20% who aren't done who could get done with maybe an extra few days 
and we give them the last week while finals are going. But it's just that small group to sort of push them across the line and accommodate them getting a slow start. So it was weird in that it was like the last night before anything was finishing up. So I'm spending most of the day and into that evening constantly checking stuff. And even though we're supposed to wrap up at 8, I'm still checking stuff and checking stuff because I know they may be working in the evening. So we kind of slotted seeing the movie in between constant checking. And, of course, if I stepped out to use a restroom or something, I'd pull it up and check it. Um, so there was that kind of going on in the background. And I just tried to sit in there when watching the movie and just sort of let everything else go and try to just – settle myself into it. Um, I had read a few pages of the visual guide prior to going to see it. I'd played the DLC, of course, on Battlefront, which you, I guess, finally played today. Way to catch up with everybody. <laughs> um, but I hadn't... Usually what happens with the films, uh, at least prior to The Force Awakens, was I used to read the novels first because a novelization would come out and I'd, and I'd read through it as soon as it arrived. In this case, I had read... Catalyst, which leads up into it and tells the backstory of the Ursos, but the novelization wasn't out yet. Disney has sort of shifted the schedule, so the novelization comes out either right when the film's released or shortly thereafter, and sometimes it, which of those it is depends on what format it is, so I hadn't had a chance to touch it and get that kind of background. So it's kind of a, I know who these Ursos are, now let's see how well they fit into this film. And I I really enjoyed it. Um I feel like the one thing that was the drawback for me was the music at first, and I feel like that's more growing on me now that I've seen it again and was able to pay more attention to it. Right. Um, I'm going to sit back and possibly blow your mind, even though I kind of hinted at this, I guess, when you were here, which is uh, I think this is probably my favorite Star Wars film now. Mm -hmm. I I love these types of, of darker good people doing bad things for the right reasons and the idea of redemption through that and heroic sacrifice. I love those types of stories. And this felt like a very solid film to me throughout. So now please rain on my parade. <laughs> so um, I, I, I kind of get what you're saying with the music. Um, the The first time that I, I saw it, I was just like, this is um, sort of jar. Like it, it just felt off where I'm like, why mm -hmm. why do I feel like someone came in and they're like, this is John Williams, right? And it's like, no, not really. And it's like, it's close enough. You know, but um, as the movie went on, I didn't feel that way. Um, and and then, uh, you know, after uh, on repeat viewings, I didn't really have any issue with it. Um, I mean, right off the bat. So, and I'll admit, like some of the things... Some of, some of my issues w with the film um, are some some of my issues are petty, and others are I think valid. Um, so I'll, I'll just kind of you know hit all of them as we go through. Um, ooh, is it so? Can this be like a game where the audience has to decide every time you give one of the thoughts to go? Ooh, that's a petty one. No, no, that's a legit one. <laughs> sure, I um I f I feel like it's pretty obvious as to which Ready is which. Your buzzer. Right, right. Um, like one thing, like I would say this is kind of petty or at least not uh, valid from a, a critical standpoint, just more of a preference, I suppose, was I didn't like how it started. Um, how it's just like, you know, it, it what it how it started was the same way as that first teaser trailer for The Force Awakens. You know what I'm talking about with uh, where John Boyega's head just pops up? Oh, uh, 
Okay, yeah. Or you talking about a... the blink kind of thing, and then all of a sudden the planet's there? Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, it was very abrupt. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. give it that. It was, Going straight from the Lucasfilm logo to that was kind of a sh- shock because we're so used to seeing the opening crawl kick off after that logo. I'll yeah. take it. Or the logo in a, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That was on the film. Right. And, and that's, I mean, that's jarring for me every single time. So mm-hmm. it's just something I don't particularly care for, but I don't think it's a, a I don't think it's enough reason to kind of knock the film per se. I, I think it's just preference, um, but just one that I don't have. Um, following that, like I said, uh, I, I feel like this is kind of in the same ballpark. I really disliked how they then you go over and you think that you're looking at maybe like a star destroyer or some sort of ship. And then you find out, Oh, it's rings because this planet has rings. And I just, I didn't like it, (laughs) you know, like it just, to me, I was like, this doesn't like, this does not feel star Wars. I don't, I already don't feel like I'm being set in the star Wars universe. And so it, I don't know, just every single time I always feel like it gets off to a bad start with me and then has to kind of like work me in. But, you mm. know, um, like I said, I, I'll, I'll totally admit that those those things I feel like are more preference. Um, and, and some people can, may go, yeah, I kind of get what you're saying. And other people may say, I have no idea where you're, you're getting that from. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's just sort mm-hmm. of, um, I don't know. I, I just think that that's something i didn't care for others might not um i think sort of bounces back and forth you mm, think yeah or? yeah no no yeah you go yeah you, right. you jump in so right, so i would say that the opening did take some getting used to it was it, the fact that it was so abrupt was kind of a shock um we knew there wasn't going to be a crawl going into it so that question of well, what are they going to do instead um to me what got me out of the opening was the fact that we had basically you know the, the rogue one logo didn't look very Star Wars. The idea of it just kind of shows up and then moves off in the distance and then it's gone. I mean, I know that the idea was it was supposed to be reminiscent of the Star Wars logo, but it just, for some reason, that felt off kilter to me. But by and large, for the most part, I like the way that they handled the beginning. The fact that they had, I mean, it's basically like Rebels or uh, or a lot of TV shows, right? You've got your cold open, you've got your <laughs> introductory segment. So it should have started with... Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then there's your Rogue One, which is kind of like that. Um, but the fact that they did it, because I was curious, given that we saw in the trailers that they were going to have the stuff that we now know was in 13 BBY, right? So the stuff where uh, Jin is eight going on nine, and then we'd see her as an adult, where she's 21 going on 22. And it's sort of a, well, how are they going to do this? Is Star Wars going to keep making further use of flashbacks and stuff like that, kind of like we saw in a little bit of The Force Awakens. But it's just not something that Star Wars tended to do previously very much, at least not on film. And the fact that they made it so basically that cold open is that time period. And then we're transitioning essentially to fully being into the present, so to speak, after it. I think that worked well. I think it, it the fact that they used it the way they did as far as where they placed the Rogue One uh, logo when it finally showed up gave me a sense that this was more sort of a traditional movie. Um, but they were trying to draw that dividing line to give you a sense of sort of – we wanted to tell you what happened before and help set things up. And instead of working it as a flashback that may be confusing perhaps to younger viewers or whatever, we're going to stick it there at the front but show you a clear 
delineation. I thought that was handled well. I just wasn't particularly fond of the way that the Rogue One logo came out, but that's not something no, I, particularly I, concerning to me. I, exactly. I'm, I'm right there with you. It's um, like if I was going to describe it, it just sort of seemed empty. Um, does that kind of help help you sort of put your finger on it or no? I, I guess like it doesn't have like the Star Wars films tend to start off with like this sense of, ooh, you know, there's this whole universe of thing that's been happening around it because we have this crawl leading up to it. I mean, this movie is basically that first paragraph from the A New Hope crawl. Um, but I wonder if part of that was to give the sense that you don't have to know the rest of the stuff. Like, we don't need a crawl because you don't need to know what happened back in episode three or something to lead to this. And we can show you enough through dialogue and through this opening sequence on Lamu that we don't need to give you a crawl. This can be a different way of telling the story. But it, it definitely felt – it's like if the crawl and everything was part of what made Star Wars special, then that has been stripped out of this. I'm not I – don't, I don't think empty is the word that I would use for mm-hmm. it, but certainly – on the on first viewing, somewhat jarring. Subsequent right. viewings, knowing what to expect, no issue. I'm just like, okay, yeah, this is how it is. Okay. Now, um, if they do this for Han Solo, and we see this as a pattern, then we'll get used to it. I hope so. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm kind of hoping that they don't use that exact same little music sequence. I, I wasn't... Well, I don't know. I just... To me, every time I watch a Star Wars film, like that crawl... Just, I don't know, like it starts to ramp me up and, and get me excited into it. And this one, I feel like it's just like, oh, here we and Nope, just a tease. And then I'm like, oh, okay. But, it, but a good tease. I mean, it gave us, they didn't have to tell us there was sort of a friendship at some point between Krennic and Galen because we get it in that opening. We get the, the force connection or force religious beliefs of Lyra without us necessarily having to be beat over the head with. And there's so much built into that opening before the the title even shows up that I feel like they were sort of proving that they didn't need a crawl, that Star Wars could handle things that we needed to know in a more subtle way than a crawl, or then the way that the prequels most of the time beat us over the head with certain thematic things. I guess that that's that's a, a line that I would attach. If I were to have to come up with a list of adjectives for this film, the term subtle... Despite the big bombastic battles and stuff at the end, I think the word subtle fits this film very well, at least relative to the other films. Hmm. Okay. Um, or subtle, as I had someone <laughs> pronounce it to me once. I just, um, and that's the thing is, I, don't get me wrong, I don't think that the crawl is necessary for um, plot or, or any sort of thing like that as much as it's just a... Um, I don't know. To me, it makes it feel more like an event rather than just uh, your average movie. That Can that I was ask all you, I was saying. Mm-hmm. Did did you watch the Clone Wars? Yes. Much. So did did the way that they opened all the Clone Wars episodes with the you know galaxy torn by war newsreel kind of stuff? Did that have that same effect? Because they removed that type of approach for Rebels. I'm curious if there was that same juxtaposition between. This has the opening that ramps us up, and this one doesn't. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I kind of like the the Clone Wars one better than than Rebels, you know. Um, but like I said, I mean, that's just personal preference. Like I said, to me, it's just it's more fun. Is it is it necessary? Does it um, is that something that's just absolutely needed for a Star Wars film for some unknown reason? No, not really. But I enjoy it, you know. 
Okay. Just all right. So twenty. So twenty minutes in, we're like five minutes into the movie. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So and then now we're gonna get to one of my really petty things. Um, that wasn't. Pe- oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, I don't. I don't think that's a bit. Um, <laughs> Baby Jen is what I'll, I'll refer to her as. Um, Baby Jen. Yeah. Okay. She. Oh my God. That girl. The way she ran. I'm just like. Like what? You. Who runs like that? It's a little kid, and she has at one point she has like the backpack on, and she's like, <laughs> I, that to me, that was a kid run. Oh my god, it's so. I and, mean, and it look, may not be, it may not be the most graceful kid run, but not all kids are the worst. graceful. I'm, I'm like Galen. Did you not like? What's wrong with your daughter? <laughs> like what? <laughs> did you not have enough physical activity when you were homeschooling her? Did she not Apparently. take PE? Did she not have that credit? Oh, it's so bad, and like I know that it's it's so unnecessary. Like, believe me, this is the this is the most petty um, critique that I have of the whole movie. Um, but I'm like, what's wrong with that child? Why can she not run? <laughs> wow. I, I just I I don't even know how to respond to that. Other than okay, okay. Well, your 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 concern is noted. Check. I just I don't know why it was so distracting to me. It was so terribly distracting to me. Um. It's wrong. I mean, she's a child. I shouldn't. I should not be uh, so critical of a child. Okay, but okay, here, here. I'll give you a question then. Okay, uh-huh. baby Jin yes. or baby Anakin, Phantom Menace. Well, it depends on what part. Like, like, what are we saying? Like, who who runs more ridiculously? I'm just thinking. You know, which one struck you more as as appropriate and believable? If if the if the running of this kid was throwing you out of the movie, did you know? Are you an angel? Oh no! Yippee! Throw you out? Well, yeah. I mean, that's some of that. That acting was terrible. But, but I'm not talking about the acting. At least he ran fine when he was running from Darth Maul. Like that was okay with that. <laughs> so in '99, I can see see you sitting there like Anakin. Who taught you how to run? <laughs> <laughs> I just walk out. Like keep in mind, I was like ten. I think at the point of that uh, when I saw that movie. So I just walk out. And I'm like, God, that Anakin runs like an idiot. It's okay, Maul. Cut him down. I can't stand to watch that anymore. <laughs> He's never going to win a triathlon. Um, Maybe that's one of the things that uh, Saw Guerrera, before he lost his legs, uh, taught Jin how to do was run correctly. Maybe. So. You know, because uh, grown-up Jin, she runs fine. Like, she doesn't have that weird wobble thing going on, so... My child, we have a long journey ahead, and I'm going to get you a freaking treadmill. <laughs> She's like, are, are you going to teach me how to fight? No. I'm going to teach you how to run like a normal person. Have a, have a Maz Kanata be like, I look, I look in your eyes, and I see you are a girl who needs to run. <laughs> You're like, why is everybody making fun of the way I run? <laughs> the good thing she wasn't force sensitive. She would turn to the dark side just because of your criticism of her running. She'd be like, I'm done. <laughs> wow so uh, so we're so we're almost 30 minutes in and we're like 10 minutes in awesome, awesome. well no. i mean we can, what, what can we say? when you said you had a list of things some of which were petty i thought you were like exaggerating you didn't realize i was i was legitimately going to make fun of the way that uh, a child actress runs <laughs> exactly. i was like what i, I mean was, i said petty you're sitting, there, you're sitting back there like well she was no shirley temple <laughs> So, um, no, I, I do want to jump to something that I did really like. Um, and, and I will say, uh, as a whole, um, 
Well, there, there's a couple of points I want to make on this. But anyhow, as a whole, my favorite part of the movie was uh, Krennic. I, I think... Really? That, yeah. Like, by a lot. Um, I mean, granted, K2SO, I, I enjoyed his comedic parts and stuff like that. That was great and everything. But as far as a character who I felt like was fully fleshed out, which was not something that was happening a lot in this film, um, and, and got like a great... You know, when he shows up, you kind of understand who he is very quickly. Um, and then, you know, all the way to his end, I, I really enjoyed everything that happened with Krennic. I mean, everything that happened with him. I, I really, really liked that character a lot. Um, and in fact, some of the stuff that I've been hearing uh, makes me think that I, that I really should go back and, and uh, read Catalyst because... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't want to read it because I, di- I didn't want it to influence uh, my my viewing of the film. I wanted to just take it cold and then go from there. Um, but I, I I really enjoyed Krennic. I thought he was such a great character. Um, you know, fu- funny enough, because I was I was talking to somebody and they're like, um, they're like, oh well, you know, I thought he was a much better uh, Nazi than uh, Hux, and I'm like, well, no, I'm like that's incorrect because. Hux was supposed to be a Nazi-like character, but to me, Krennic was more of your... Oh, God, I don't mean to get political, but like a Donald Trump-like character. <laughs> you know, like like you're sort of... Uh... Oh, he's going to make the Empire great again. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, he's like that... Uh, he was more of like a... Uh, I guess like a... a uh, uh, um, I can't come up with a word. I don't want to just say businessman, but... You know, he he was sort of looking at everything like a um you know, like like a giant corporation type of deal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and uh, which which I thought worked great too with uh Tarkin and how he came in cuz he was just like, "Oh, yeah." It's like, "Boy, I'm I'm really uh, you know, I'm doing great. I'm being real cutthroat." And then it's like Tarkin comes and he's like, "Crap. I was playing the wrong game." So I don't know. I just I enjoyed the the layers to to that character of of him sort of being the bad guy, but then also really just being you know a, a stepping stone for the empire. He was nothing to the empire, and and that was that was really intriguing to me. You know, I mean, here's a guy you're like, ooh, he's got his fancy black armored guards and his own ship, and um, you know, so so clearly he's a big deal to the empire. No, not really. No, they, they they could care less about this guy. So that that like, was I really liked that. It's like the Joe Biden of of the Empire. He's he's useful at times, but other times you're like, Krennic, dude, don't open your mouth. Um, Joe Biden's not. Useful. I feel. Like, oh, okay, I, I just <laughs> Krennic, Krennic was an interesting one to me because I had Red Catalyst going into mm-hmm. it, and Krennic is is a very different type of of Imperial as you were getting at, I think that the term that I would use is he's sort of like the military industrial complex guy. Like he's not there for sheer power for the empire per se. Mm-hmm. He's not there for the cruelty or for some righteous mission or any- anything so much as he's a, he's absolutely a career ladder climber. Kind of right. Guy. Exactly. It's, yeah. There it's you go. Perfect. Status for him. They, they talk about how in these meetings, in Catalyst, in these meetings, that your position relative to a certain spot in the room um, 
plays into basically what level of influence you have and how much he wants to move in a certain direction within that room. And that kind of guides everything. Um, I like the fact that it's the, he was essentially a friend of Galen Mm -hmm. and at the same time is trying to manipulate Galen throughout both catalyst and this to do what he wants him to do because he sees it as the way it should be done. And he's very much sort of an ends justify the means kind of guy. Um, That said, after reading Catalyst and getting a sense of him as a character, I wasn't quite sure what to make of him in the film because Mendelssohn just seems – I don't think weak is the right word, but I think of like a Tarkin who had this presence. Mm-hmm. And Krennic at first didn't feel like he had much of a presence to me. He felt like, oh, he's an administrator. It wasn't until we got to the end of the film and it's the whole, you know, the shield is still up. Your ships will be destroyed. I lose nothing but time. And when he delivers that I lose nothing but timeline, that's when it clicked for me. Okay, this this is a formidable adversary because he's got that passion to him. And then on seeing it a second time, I was able to sort of read the character that way as watching it. Um, but he definitely didn't jump out at me on first viewing as this, you know, th- this, I don't want to say worthy adversary, but worthy in a different way. Um, like, I wouldn't necessarily think Krennic and think threat. I would think of Tarkin and think this man is a threat. But Krennic in moving the levers of power is sort of like a one step removed from the threat. Like, he will bring power to bear and manipulation to bear, but generally he's going to have someone do the dirty work, as opposed to, you know, Tarkin probably, if you push him too much, he will pull out the blaster and shoot you in the face himself. Krennic, it almost seems like out of character when he's the one pulling the blaster. And the fact that the dude gets to the end of the film, he's being frustrated at every turn throughout what's happening, losing control, and even by the end, he's still like, you know, who are you? He has no idea who Jin is, (laughs) and you're like, dude, you just... You aren't so much in your own little bubble right? that bursting it is is going to be pleasurable to watch. Right. And But like I said, that's what I liked about him. You know what I mean? Like, I like that he's not just, ooh, I'm the, you know, I'm the bad guy. I'm so, because the, the reality is Vader's the bad guy. Tarkin's the bad guy. You know, uh, Emperor is, is the bad guy. Like... I like that they, instead of trying to say, oh no, he was bad, but Jen took him out or whatever, they're like, yeah, he's really bad, but not when you compare him to these guys. These guys yeah. are really bad. I, I it, like that they sort of drew that line. It reminds me of, a lot of times we think in terms of like, when we think of like the Nazis, there's the the ones who did this stuff because they were just all kinds of incredibly anti-Semitic and they love the totalitarianism. It's just their thing. And there's the, well, I was just following orders people. Like he's the guy in the middle who is following orders, but he's also working the system to his own advantage. And if that means jumping on the party bandwagon to do it, heck yeah, he's going to do it because in the end it benefits him. Um, He's probably the most, I guess you'd argue that I guess Anakin was sort of self-centered because it was his, you know, not willing, being willing to let go of Padme that wound up eventually leading to his fall. But as far as the Imperials that we've seen, he seems like he's much more of the selfish, personally driven than most of the ones we've seen. Most of the ones we've seen are more like, you know, for the Empire. Right. And 
He is more of like, for the bottom line and my advancement. Ooh, I have a new Maserati. You know, that kind <laughs> right, of Right, exactly. Just sort of exactly. The, the career climber. So, yeah, yeah. He, he worked. What about the Rebels, though? This is where I'm hearing the most that when people are saying they're not big on the film, it's the Rebels just didn't have any personality or they're like or lack of characterization or whatever for the team. Yeah. there was, What about them? Yeah, there was none. Um, I mean, they... I mean, even Jin and Cassian, who were the the main two characters, I would say, of the film, were not fleshed out. They there there was very little there to them. I, I felt like um, they were very very thin. And when they would do things, it just seemed more like the plot dictated it rather than you saying, "Okay, I understand that as their character," and and that's sort of moving it forward. I just I didn't understand a lot of the stuff that they did. Um, you know, initially we get from uh, from Jen that she, you know, she's not really interested in um, helping the rebels or anything. She just wants to be out of prison or whatever. But then all of a sudden, like she turns on a dime, and it didn't feel. You know, it, it just it didn't feel earned. Um, they're just like, oh yeah, because um, by this point in the movie, we really need her to to be a totally different character. So whatevs, you know. Um, Cassian, I I mean, even initially when he first shot that guy, it was just sort of like, yeah, this is the dark one where the good guys do bad stuff, you know. And I was just like, all right, I that's fine whatever you know let's uh tell me more let's let's find something out and then they're like nope he doesn't want to be a bad guy he's going to refuse his orders and he's not going to to kill galen well why because he's a good guy yeah but what about earlier but that was when he was a good guy doing bad yeah but why (laughs) just watch the movie (laughs) stop asking questions Wow. Uh, <laughs> be not concerned with how or why or whatever. Right. Um, see, I think that this this falls under that whole subtlety thing. And I'm thinking that I'm probably going to feel – going into this, I'm going to probably feel as though this has that Stover effect, not just from Catalyst but also from the novelization, which I've slowly started reading. But I've got so other, many other things going on I haven't had a chance to get through the whole thing yet because it does seem like there's a lot of characterization that's sort of left to be assumed. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that sense, kind of like, uh, say, Revenge of the Sith, you know, where I, a, a lot of my enjoyment of that film is coming from the novelization, giving more depth to what's appearing on screen. Um, but at the same time, I feel like because of the subtlety, this one plays on things a little bit better for characterization. And I was able to not feel as though they were as thin as sometimes they were made out to be, at least for a couple of them. Like, um, you know, Jin and seeing her change. Um the, the reaction that she has upon seeing the message from her father and the specifics. Like the first time I was watching it, I was like, okay, what is he going to say about the Death Star? Is he going to say that Krennic's building it and making the Alderanians pay for it? What's he doing? Um, but then the second time I was looking for more of like, what is he saying about the family and the connection with her? And and in that sense, I felt like that scene was her turning point um, for changing her mind and being like, you know what? I've got to stop this. This is what my father you know, is trying to do. And of course, with him dying, that sort of puts that final, I must make this happen type of thing uh, into play. That said, to have her be the one to do the, you know, you know, what chance 
You mean what choice? I thought that was kind of a, I mean, it worked, I guess, to go to the next part of that conversation and sort of show her standing up and being the voice of reason or whatever you want to call it. But I'm not sure that that was written <laughs> particularly well. And like if somebody right. said that in a meeting I was in, I'd be like, oh, sit down, chance choice. Shut up. <laughs> um, but um, as a Cassian, he, his, his moment of change doesn't seem to be clearest. But I never get the sense that Cassian is the good guy, good guy. He always seems like he's still the good guy who's willing to do the bad things as necessary. Um, he struck me as sort of that haunted hero type of character um, because you can see in the nuances of the facial performance of just, you know, the reluctance to do certain things, um, his questioning when it comes to Galen. And it seems like it's almost like every time he's arguing with Jin, it's like he's arguing with himself even more so than with her, you know, as far as what should be done before they get back. Whenever he's like, yeah, you know, I'm with you. Um, he gets some of the good... Uh, interpersonal and like the line of uh you know she says you know i'm not used to people sticking around when things go bad and he says welcome home says a lot i think about both of them um k2so the humor did great um not sure he needed to be the one to say i'm a reprogrammed imperial droid everybody like, okay thank you for the exposition there probably. right and that's um, and there was a lot of that there was a lot yeah, there of... was some there was some but mm. let me say let me toss out where i agree with you <laughs> okay yeah go ahead okay i agree with you when it comes to other members of the team Mm -hmm. uh Bodie didn't get a whole lot of development he got at least some but the whole it causes one to lose one's mind and he's all kind of wigged out in one scene and then he's back to basically normal for the rest of the movie right um had me like what mm -hmm. and I don't feel like Chirrut and Baze really got much more than just a surface level characterization so it sort of felt like I feel like Galen got more characterization than Chirrut and Baze and Bodhi did. Oh, I agree. Yeah, um, I agree so, completely. So it's almost like it was, an, it was an uneven amount of characterization, but I wouldn't say that everybody was relatively surface level. I think there's some depth there. It's just there's only certain characters who really got it. Right. And to me, like I said, it's a lot of it didn't pay off, you know, um, because Galen, yeah, they kind of start giving him a little bit but it's more more of his character, or, you know, it was, his character really was just exposition as well. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, he's not a bad guy. He's her, her father. And, you know, he calls her Stardust. Don't worry, that'll be important later. Um, he'll say it 19 times. And, um, <laughs> you know, just, just some of those different things with it but but i did i mean that's the one thing i was joking earlier about you know saying robotic actors or whatever i actually think all of the acting was really good um i can't think of anything that i didn't particularly care for um as far as any of the acting uh there was a few scenes with jen where i was like eh, could be a little, but as a whole i think it was pretty good um it was just you know i i think maybe it, it could be due to maybe the you know the the reshoots and p potentially restructure of the film um but i mean from what i'm hearing they actually added more character development like uh you know Riz Ahmed uh had said that you know his character actually got more development which makes me think well what the crap was was he to begin with then <laughs> you know cuz I, I felt like uh Bodhi was so underdeveloped um which to me felt like a crime because I, I actually felt like that character, what little bit that they gave us of him, I felt like he could have, he could have been more, you know, he he could have been a, a a much more interesting 
character that people could go, you know what, I, I really liked that guy. He was really good. And we just got so little of him. Um, you know, like I even joked with you about Bays, and I'm like, well, this guy's supposed to be one of the main characters, and if you actually look at his screen time and his dialogue, he pretty much shares the exact same amount with uh, Snap Wexley from The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. and and he ga- and the actor pretty much gave up the entire need for the character in his celebration <laughs> interview, basically. Right. Because I, I, as soon as we got to the point where you know the the deaths start piling up, I'm sitting back and it happens. I'm like, wow, that is kind of basically what he said. I mean, he didn't say right. he was about to die right afterwards, but the whole you know when this guy dies, I gotta take up. He's like, wow, no, don't say it, don't say it. <laughs> um. Yeah, I feel like the, the characterization was was mad. Now that said, mm-hmm. if there is a characterization that I think was helped very much by this film, it's the characterization of the Rebel Alliance. I feel like the idea has been with Rebels, the cartoon series, that we're getting these smaller cells and that they're building towards something. Right. But we've seen some tension with, for instance, the group that Chomson Dula was running, and then of course we've got, you know, we've got the Rebels in A New Hope. And they gave the excuse of, well, there were different rebel groups that had to come together to eventually get what we got in Return of the Jedi, which is why you don't see quite as big a force in A New Hope. But there's always been this sort of gap between A New Hope and Rebels of this sort of, well, what state were they in? Were they all agreeing to this? If that really is their first big victory in Rogue One, does that mean that they've been having these stunning defeats? Or does it just mean they've not come together as one big group to do anything yet? Like, what exactly is it? And I feel like this film gave a lot more of a realistic, fleshed out, not so idealistic version of the Rebels. Because if you watch the original films, the Rebels are just sort of like, they're the underdogs, they're going up against the Empire, they are the righteous ones, they are all about you know getting a Republic back, bring it on kind of stuff. Whereas now it's, we've got the different groups, we've got the... Uh, uh, the the guy who's willing to say, you know, uh, like Draven, basically saying, you know, we are going to assassinate this guy, we can't just you know, just bet that he's going to turn or whatever. So we've got the guy who's basically the very much a pragmatist. You've got the people who are more looking for a political solution, even Mon Mothma looking more for a political solution than a military one, which is not what I would have expected given that Mon Mothma is the one giving the briefing in Return of the Jedi. Um, All that type of stuff. The the people willing to say, you know, the rebellion is over because of this and Jimmy Smith slash Bail Organa having to kind of keep things together to a degree and the factionalization where even after they meet and say we're not going to you know we're not going to come together and send a mission to Scarif having Mon Mothma and Bale have a side conversation like look I'm gonna have to go back home and just tell them there won't be any peace whatever happens here ain't no way they're gonna bargain with us with this thing out there that we need to blow up um so I found it interesting that the Rebel Alliance feels like it got so many more layers of depth and nuance in this film then it has tended to get at least within this canonical continuity. Yes, there was stuff like that happening in the Legends continuity, but so far, this is really where we see the Alliance as a whole start to have these cracks and these imperfections and become more human, so to speak. So, okay, there's a couple things that you you hit on there that I want to kind of respond to. Um, One of them that's not... uh, uh, not a whole lot to say about it really, but I, I have been hearing a lot of other people say the exact same thing. Um, Jimmy Spence was awesome in this. 
I I actually really enjoyed his performance. I thought he was used appropriately. And I say that as somebody who doesn't particularly care for him as an actor. And he aged really well between episode three and Rogue One. I mean, just a little bit of gray in his hair. Right, just just on the temples a little bit, not much. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, uh, th- there's 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 a couple of dialogue issues that that I'll mention later with him, especially what you talked about with him talking to to Mon Mothma. But um, <clears throat> the the thing with with what you were saying to me, I'm not against showing a darker side of the rebellion, but I kind of have a problem with it because it almost feels false because of, you know, it's not that way in the other films. And then it's also not that way in rebels. Um, I think, I think the way to make me um, get used to that and, and say, okay, yeah, this fits in is if rebels can kind of, um, show us that 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 is a side of the rebellion then can i ask you then as as an aside have you seen the new mid-season we're coming back with rebels season three trailer yet i i haven't seen it um i do know the big like oh it's i'd be very curious once you watch that to see if you feel like that's something that might be coming up okay i mean i I hope it is very curious yeah i mean i i I hope so too yeah because like i said i'm not against it it's just that it doesn't seem to fit right now not that it can't fit um so i i hope that is a way that that rebels is going um you know uh, another thing too just since we're, we're kind of talking about uh rebels at the moment you know we we did get um um oh gosh i keep i'm, I'm coming up with everybody's name except for his from uh clone wars Saw Gerrera. Saw There we go. Sorry. Um, you know, but that wasn't the only thing from Clone Wars, for me at least. Like, I kind of felt like the Tarkin that they had really resembled more of the, the Tarkin from Clone Wars than the Tarkin from A New Hope. Um, do you kind of get what I'm saying as far as, like, his, uh, his attitude? Like, in, in A New Hope... I felt like he was more um, um, clinical, I guess, you know, Um, whereas in and I don't mean that in in any sort of a, a negative way. He just he seemed very much like this is the goal. I'm going to do this, you know, and and that's what it is. And And you don't really. To me, like, I don't get that anything else about him other than he's like. I work for the Empire. I'm going to do my best for the Empire. Whereas in um, the Clone Wars, he was almost a little more, um, I don't know, like like you sort of saw him as like, wow, this guy's a little, he's a little skeezy, you know? <laughs> and the, the Jedi didn't really care much for him, but Anakin's like, well, I kind of see his point, you know? I, I felt like that was the character you got in this one where he's just like, mm, yeah, this is mine now. He's like, what the, like, I will not let you take it. He's like, yeah, you don't got a choice. You know, I just, I felt like that they were sort of honoring that character that, that was sort of put, you know, that sort of personality of, of Tarkin. I think that he, 
I mean, I, I, I could see your point. I think that what, and this is based on kind of a combination of this and reading Tarkin, um, the novel, mm-hmm. is sort of this sense that it's a question of sort of what the context is in which he's in as to what what level of which you're going to see a lot of that more uh, power play, uh, you know, willing to do whatever it takes type of attitude versus something that's much more, you know, I'm in control here and I'm going to keep everything on an even keel. I think by the time we get to A New Hope, it's much more of the, this is mine and I'm going to run it professionally kind of attitude. Whereas here it's still sort of a, I mean, he's like, wow, I didn't actually think that'll work. Nice. It's mine now, but nice, you know, (laughs) where he's got that aspect to him. And, but he's always, to me, he's sort of always struck me as sort of the true believer in the government, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Um, so, because you think back to, like, the Clone Wars, and then you see him in Rebels, and you see him in this, and you see him in A New Hope, and you get the Tarkin novel. And regardless of the context that he's in, it seems like there is just this faith in what the government is doing is right because they are the government. They have every right to do it because they are the government. What they do is correct because the government isn't wrong. And he's not so much about questioning authority as he is almost like the one providing the uh, – in education, we call it scaffolding, providing that foundation that makes sure that the government stays on the level that it needs to be and has the strength that it needs to have. So in essence, it's just once he's in charge of the Death Star – that's a different context in which he's still managing to do that exact same thing, but it doesn't require sort of the jockeying with anybody. It doesn't require the slipping in and stealing power because he's basically sitting at the point where, you know, aside from Palpatine, who is it that outranks me? You know, that kind of, of thing. But yeah, I'd be interesting to do a rewatch of everything again, keeping a specific eye on Tarkin to see the beats of his character and whether there's a disconnect. I don't feel like there is right now. Right, but it's also, you know, I, I, again, I've got that Stover effect kind of thing going on. I've read Tarkin, so I've got that storyline still in my head. Anytime that I see the character, I can't walk in and see him fresh. I almost wish I would have asked my parents to watch A New Hope before they came down to visit, <laughs> so that they could give me those impressions. But it wasn't something right. that was on the radar at the time. Right. Well, I mean, you know, like I said, I I think that it it fits in with with both it's just i liked that we got to see that other side of him you know so it, it just to me it kind of meshed between you know this the stuff we saw in in clone wars and then also in rebels up to um uh you know to a new hope um which i would say i kind of feel like even in rebels he's closer to a new hope but i don't know i just i saw that uh um that clone wars type personality coming out in the film and and i enjoyed it i I actually really liked that um which also kind of made me want to to bring up um something i know that that's a a a big talking point with people um and and seems to be one of the the bigger criticisms of the film what did you think of the cgi tarkin i was i was blown away by it now, the first time I saw it was in 3D, and it was hard for me to really get a full gauge of how realistic he was because, to me, wearing 3D glasses over my glasses, right? There's always it's not quite as crisp because of that. Okay. But seeing it the second time in 2D, I mean, I was amazed by it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. and, and to me, it's 
it's an awesome way to bring him back. I had no idea he'd have that big of a role. So that surprised me pleasantly um, in seeing it um, because it really felt like there was a handoff. Like after reading Catalyst, I was afraid that what we were going to get basically was here's the Death Star under Krennic. Oh, he's dead now. Here's the Death Star under Tarkin as we went into A New Hope. That it was going to be just this, oh, it's a change in power between the two. But to actually see that transition, um, I was pleasantly surprised. I think that – and you could still tell it was CGI if you knew to look for it. Like I said, my parents had no idea that Cushing had passed. He's like, like, wow. And this is – I don't – they didn't say it. But I've heard others say it in online discussions like, you know, I had somebody tell me, you know, um, so I don't get it or ask me, I don't get it. How does he look the way that he looks now if that's how he looked back in the film from years ago? Did they age him with makeup Right. back for A New Hope? And if so, wow, they did an amazing job making him look like he actually would wind up looking when he was older. I know the guy passed away. To Mm -hmm. me, it's it's much less interesting for the side of, well – Look how well they did, and more of a dude. I'm the government guy, political science guy, social studies guy, history guy, legal guy. I want to know how this affects likeness rights law. And But that's a whole other thing. But, I mean, if you can't have a novel for the new Jedi Order or a novel for Fate of the Jedi that uses an aged Luke based on – how Mark Hamill actually aged because you only had the license rights for Mark Hamill as of the time of the films, then what happens when somebody passes away and you're able to recreate them in a computer? Like if they tried to do that with Carrie Fisher for episode nine for Mm -hmm. Leia, what kind of hoops do they have to jump through legally to do that? Or does the fact that she appeared in seven and eight just give them absolute free reign to do whatever they want with a CGI version as long as it looks like her i this is it sort of opens up this fascinating discussion that's beyond the films so to speak um <laughs> hey you know that's a great name for a, a podcast name for a podcast isn't it <laughs> um but i don't know i think that it's um i think it worked it worked well i know that you had said that it that it wasn't quite as i don't know there was something you said that was about it that that was sort of felt odd to you as you were watching was it just that we knew that he had passed away so you knew you were watching cgi or was there something specific at the time that that did oh no i actually um i really enjoyed it i didn't have any issues with it um no uh, was it leia then that you had had leia, you said something about the cgi thing before that had me go hmm leia um the leia was one where i felt that it was a little more noticeable um oh yeah and it was just some, I think it had to do a little more with the lighting. Um, but also, I, I one other thing is is watching it, you know, now seeing it, like I said, I've seen it three times at this point. Um, it really just seems to be more, you know, it's less of the CGI being poor, because the CGI looks really good. It's more of them getting the, the mouths moving correctly so that it looks like they're saying what they're actually saying. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that seems to be the only real issue. And if you're not paying attention to it, you're not going to notice it. You know, um, the, the thing that I keep describing it as, um, is it's kind of like a magic trick. If you don't know how a magic trick is done, Mm-hmm. you're just going to go, oh my God, he made that rabbit disappear. This dude's a witch. Let's burn him. But if 
if you know, then you're always going to be looking to see like, okay, let's see how he's doing this. Ah, okay. I kind of see right there or whatever, you know, because it seems like everyone who knows that Peter Cushing's dead goes, ah, it's CGI. I see it, you know, but everybody who has no ideas like, huh, what are you talking about? You know, like everybody just thinks that that's just mm-hmm. a character in the movie. Now, did you get did you get that same weird sensation? Like we first see him and his backs to us. I'm like, oh, OK, that's how they'll handle it. And then you see the reflection in the in the glass. And you're like, oh, well, OK, it's a reflection. It doesn't have to be quite as crisp as as the real guy. So that's how they're going to handle it. And then he turns around. Like as soon as he turned around, I was like, holy crap, they're, yeah. they're going full on with this. <laughs> like to me, that was almost like this weird gut check of, dude, what? Yeah. And it happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I agree with you completely. And, and that's, that was kind of how I felt about it was I'm sitting there going like, oh yeah, you know, cause I expect, I mean, I, that, that's the one thing about this movie is that it didn't really, um, surprise me in any way. Pretty much the the movie went almost entirely the way I expected it to go. Um, But the one thing that I really underestimated was how much they were going to put Tarkin in the film. I thought it was going to be, you know, I, I had been hearing CGI a lot, so I expected them to do CGI. But I thought it was going to be a lot, a lot more minor you know, I thought it was going to be a, sort of a bit part. I had no idea that they were going to use him as much as he did. And I, and I know, like I said, a lot of people are saying, oh, it was too much or blah, blah, blah. It wasn't great or whatever. And I'm just like, shut up. Like, you're wrong. <laughs> you're just wrong. He still wrong. looked more believable than Jar Jar. Come I, on, people. Um, I, so I know we're kind of we're, we're kind of narrowing down the time that we have here. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that – I guess the other thing that, that springs to mind that I want to make sure to bounce off you, and I know uh, we'll be having these discussions like throughout. I'm sure we can even add like a little section if we need to. So, hey, here's <laughs> something else I thought of about Rogue One. Yeah. You know what you else that, sucks? Give that the name no. of the section. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm thinking in terms of just how well it handled things just overall. Like there's that whole, well, it's retconned a bunch of stuff from A New Hope, et cetera, et cetera. And I think about the way that things were handled back in the Legends continuity, and that was sort of a mess. Because you had a bunch of people all trying to write the how did they get the Death Star plans type of story. And there was never a no, you can't tell that story. It's already been done. So you had like the UK Jedi Dawn book. Uh, that was like a game book. You had, gosh, what, you had uh, Dark Forces. You had Lethal Alliance. You had uh, Rebel Dawn. Uh, you had, I think, a piece of X-Wing even. You had part of Empire at War. All these different stories trying to say – Here's how they got the plans to the point where they had to say, well, the plans were actually in a bunch of little pieces. They had to compile them. So all these missions actually happened. It's just that they all kind of come together on the Tandive 4, and that's how they – and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there was never really much of a specific explanation of why the Death Star was built the way it was, why the weakness was there the way that it was. Uh, we thought we were going to get a book kind of like Catalyst with the Death Star novel back in the day, but it didn't really manage to pull that off. So I, I look at this as – um, in a lot of ways, the film itself was what EU fans had been used to, you know, a story that matters, a story that connects to a lot of other different stories and fills in gaps and gives us ways of understanding things in other stories in a new light. Um, 
in particular, I like the idea that there was a sort of more personal story to this getting of the plans. It wasn't just, you need the plans. There was a personal connection between Jin and her father and between her father and Krennic even. Um, and then you had the aspects of, you know, he – that it wasn't just, oh, well, there's an exhaust port, so they're just going to be able to blow it up. Ooh, it was – he's purposely designed this, and I think it's in the novelization where they get into sort of the – you know, he's purposely arguing that only a certain type of reactor thing will work because he knows he's able to be able to institute a flaw in that specific type so that they can sort of set this trap um, – that there are these exhaust ports, and he knows that that it could be used in order to do that. And yeah, it stretches a little bit that nobody's sitting there going, "Dude, we need to fix this whole exhaust port thing," because like he's the genius, he's the one who knows how to do it. Everybody else has to follow what he says, kind of stuff. Um, and the fact that they sort of answered the, "Why did it take four years for one Death Star and twenty years for the other?" Well, it wasn't twenty years to build the thing. It was because they needed to figure out the whole issue with making the super laser work, and for that they needed Galen, etc. So it sort of feels like the Death Star plan story and the reason why it has the flaw that it does became much more personal. And because this is the one story in canon for this, now all of a sudden it feels more solid, more tangible than being something very nebulous and spread out across all these different stories that have to be retconned to be able to fit. So broadly speaking, I feel like this handled what it needed to do for the universe, what it needed to do for the backstory of A New Hope, quite well, even if some of the characters didn't get as much service as they probably um, could have or should have. I, I think that raises the bar for the next anthology film for me in a big way. Do you think they handled it well, were there holes in it that just that drag it down for you? Um, well, first I want to say, so are you saying it should have been called Death Star, a coming-of-age tale? Uh, no. Oh, okay, sorry. Because, I was, I, because I I'm not sure that we would have wanted to hear like like the sound of the Death Star laser when it fires have to crack like a prepubescent <laughs> voice. <laughs> well, it just starts out that <laughs> way. But... <laughs> Or anything um, like that. I don't think we needed to have. Uh, although, how funny would it be for Tarkin to sit Krennic down and have the birds and bees speech with him? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh. We need oh to sit down and talk about what happens when small round things with little tails on them go into the special hole in your battle station <laughs> and wind up interacting with what is inside, causing <laughs> something to emerge in bloom, like an explosion or something else. Have you ever heard about the things you can slip onto the front of an X-Wing to keep it from being able to get its proton torpedoes into the exhaust port? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, anyhow, um, well, so there, there were a few problems. I, I don't necessarily want to call them plot holes, but they're kind of plot holes. Um, and and I would mentioned them, to, uh, or at least a couple of them, to you before. Um, mm -hmm. one of the biggest, and now the funny thing is that I've actually been seeing other people mention this, um, now online, but I got to actually give credit to, um, I think it was Bailey who is, um, it's one of, uh, Riley and Bethany's friends. When we saw it on opening night with them, um, or maybe it was the second time we saw, it. I can't remember, but point being when we saw it with them, um, he had noticed that. R2 and, and 3PO are on the ground going like, oh, everybody's taking off. And it's like, yeah, they should have been on that ship, <laughs> you know, like 
I would assume that they eventually wind up, you know, being taken to the ship. We just don't see it. But that was something that had me go, huh? The yeah. First time. Yeah. It's, I'll agree. It's just it's it's kind of weird because especially considering that it's in the uh, the tan- you know they're in the Tanta V four which was inside of um, Radis's ship. Um, right. The profundity. Right. Right. Which is although this movie does add to the droids in a new hope to me because you know when they're running across that hallway trying to get to the escape pod and the blasts somehow aren't hitting them you know that underneath c3po is like you know i am one with the force the force is with me <laughs> i've seen that little gift yes yeah, so well. i love that i saw that i was like that's so perfect <laughs> it's so true right right well so um that that's kind of an issue another issue that i have um now, now, like you mentioned, the actual exhaust port was mentioned, like that he did set up the exhaust port in the book. I don't like that part at all. Um, I, I did kind of like how he mentioned it in in the uh, the movie because the way I was sort of interpreting it, he didn't even think about the exhaust port in the film. I interpreted it as he's like, yeah, he's like, you get in there and you blow that up and then you're good. And they're like, pfft. I'm not going in there. We'll just shoot something down the exhaust port. He's like, exhaust port? Why didn't I think of that? Um, like I said, that was just my interpretation from, from the film. But I agree. I agree. I think the film made it sound like he was just like, I've made a, I've made a weakness. Mm-hmm. Now find a way to exploit it. As opposed to I've made a weakness and a way to exploit it, but I'm not going to tell you, so figure it out. I'm, I'm waiting to get to that part in the novel because I haven't reached that far yet. That's just what I'm being told is also in there. The, he set it up, yes. The mm-hmm. thing about the specific type of reactor, yes. That he set up the exhaust port specifically or knew about it specifically, that's what I'm being told comes later in the book. Okay. Because, I mean, and, and that's the thing is, because like I've said before, you have to have exhaust. It has to go somewhere. Um, so, like, that just sort of, and, and I do like that from what you were telling me that uh, apparently he did make sure that it was set up a specific way so they can get to it. But I, I did think it was clever that they focused more, at least in the film, on, you know, saying, oh, it, that's what causes the chain reaction. Because, you know, wouldn't you actually think, um, if the main reactor blows, shouldn't we have some sort of safeguards to keep the whole place from blowing up? You know, like that, mm-hmm. to me, that that's kind of clever. And I'm like, okay, that's that's fine. I, I like that. And then I go, wait, no, I don't. Because it's great and it works and it's very clever until you get to Return of the Jedi. And it's like, so am I supposed to just assume that they use those same damn plans to make the second Death Star and they didn't even fix the hole that they knew was there? Like the, they're like, well, we know this, you know, main reactor's crap, but yeah, screw it. I don't know. I think that in that case, because it was still under construction, because they were able to actually get to the reactor itself, uh-huh. that I'm not quite as, quite as bothered by it. Mm-hmm. Um, for Jedi, but I am curious if they're ever going to tell us, you know, anything else they've done with it. But it could very well be that they wound up using the same plan or something very similar. Because if they wanted the the laser to work, the super laser, and the only way that it worked was because of the specific things that Galen was able to develop, and he mm-hmm. was the genius to make it happen. It's entirely possible that his death stopped them from being able to really retool it in a way to make it work. And they were like, "Well, crap, we just need to make sure we blow up." You know, the rebels before they can try to get inside, you know, that that overconfidence of uh, of Palpatine 
that we get all throughout really the entire trap in Return of the Jedi just coming back to bite them even more so. But yeah, yeah it certainly does seem as though there should be some kind of like blockage. Maybe, maybe the Star Wars universe doesn't have much in the way of labor unions, so workplace <laughs> safety regulations just don't exist. I mean, that would explain why the dudes by the super lasers still don't have a rail. Yeah. Yeah, that's there's there's all sorts of safety violations that OSHA would be like, what the crap? Um, you know, besides that, um, let's see. So I, I mentioned the the thing with oh, okay, here we go. So we we have the the whole thing about um, Mon Mothma being like, oh, what about your Jedi friend? First off, I want to be like. Um, Way, way to go. Way, way to keep that a secret there. Uh, like, like why why, why does she know? Like, what, is he getting drunk at parties and being like, oh yeah, the Jedi ain't dead. One of them's my friend. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I, I figure that at some point, I mean, surely they're going to have a conversation about it. If they're that close of allies and they're sort of the founding members of making this happen, of course, he's going to say, hey, by the way, although for all we know, again, oh, I don't want to, you haven't seen the mid-season trailer yet. <laughs> Suffice to say, the mid-season trailer, I think, for Rebels may provide an answer to why Mon Mothma would know yeah, about that that's I'm, I'm i'm teasing more on that the actual issue i have with it is um th- so basically he says oh yeah i'll i'll have somebody send for him basically saying leia which because we know her she says oh i failed my mission uh to bring you to alderaan the problem is i have a hard time believing that he's like hey um you need to to go get obi-wan but the way to do that is to be, you know, to, to dock the Tanta V4 inside of this uh, Mon Calamari cruiser that's going into battle. Like, what? Why? Like, I don't understand why she's doing both things. You see what I'm saying? Like, that... Uh, that that strikes me as sort of an all-hands-on-deck kind of thing. Like, it's it needs to be done now. We need to get out there to the battle and... Just in case they need it, the Tantive Four is with them. But then when things start going bad and Radis's ship is basically disabled so that Vader can board it, then, yeah, they need to get out of there like now, 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 now. Like the intention wasn't necessarily for it to go into battle, but it was there in case. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of an odd thing to have it there. But then again, you know, if it's not there, the Death Star plans don't get to right. the ship. Right, which is, which is, like I said, that's so kind of it, my... It has to be there. Right, but that's what I'm saying. That's kind of more of an issue of sort of the the plot dictating the movie rather than actual, you know, it's like, why? Mm-hmm. Well, because it had to be by the end. Yeah, but you didn't really explain, what, like, I, I knew that it needed to, to, to be uh, in canon for A New Hope, but you needed yeah. to make it make sense, and you well, didn't. So, so I hopefully, then once I finish reading the novelization, I can come back and report, aha! Yes. It makes sense for her to be there, but I don't know yet. Awesome. So um, we do need to wrap up, but um, I, I do have a couple more questions for you at, for a, another episode. Okay. Um, and so we, we'll come back then, and, and you can explain to me uh, certain things like why uh, Evazon looks different in uh, A New Hope and all that nonsense. Because he shouldn't have been in the freaking movie. Oh, wait. Sorry, what? <laughs> 
yes, like that. Oh, that, that that's one of the that's one of the few moments that had me looking back, going, "Oh, screw you." Yeah, that Borgullet, Borgullet, he's going to suck your mind. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> do you have to have a CGI friggin' tentacle creature in every one of them now? Really, really, you had. JJ had one go after Spock or go after Kirk on the way to find old Spock. So now we need to put the freaking Rathars in, and now we need Bor Gullet. Could you not have just like drugged him and asked him questions instead of doing that idiot? It's Wusa, Wusa. Yes, yes. That we will have plenty of time to discuss okay. that. And I'll just you know I'll just leave the uh, I'll just leave all these miniatures on the floor yeah. until we have time to get to them. We'll yeah we'll we'll grab those up next time and them we'll too, talk about yeah. the Bor Gullet. <laughs> all right but uh in in the meantime though uh you can always reach us at cloudcitycasino at gmail.com uh we're also on twitter as cloud city casino and then of course there's the cloud city casino facebook page um we're of course at our home at starwarsreport.com uh and then of course i can be reached at morris Isley on twitter uh nate where are those places that you can be reached well, you can find my Star Wars Timeline Gold, the most comprehensive Star Wars chronology available anywhere on uh, StarWarsFanWorks.com slash timeline. You can find me with Mark Herleman for Star Wars Beyond the Films, same place you can find Cloud City Casino, StarWarsReport.com. And my YouTube channel you can find at YouTube.com slash user slash Chrono Radio. Uh, it's Chrono, C-H-R-O-N-O, then radio, all is one word. Been putting up some new reviews of Fantasy Flight stuff as it's been coming in that we'll be covering on the next episode, like Imperial Assault and Armada and whatnot. Uh, also, just recently started putting up some more videos for From the Star Wars Home Video Library, including the cool UK big sleeve edition of The Force Awakens and this insane Japanese The Force Awakens set that has all kinds of cool goodies that, of course, the US didn't get a version of here <laughs> at all. So... Uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing, go for it. And soon, hopefully by uh, by midsummer, if not earlier, I will be done with the book on Star Wars home video releases, and it will be available on Amazon, self-publishing through there. But I've got I got about a hundred pages left to edit, and then I got to take a ton of pictures. So yeah, it'll be a while. Awesome. And um, you know, last little thing is uh, mention that. I didn't actually hate the movie. I, I was playing that up a little more. Uh, I would say it's in my my uh, talking about Rogue One, of course. I would say it's probably in my bottom three, but I actually like all the Star Wars movies, so still uh, still a pass. Wait, in my opinion, the bottom the bottom three means that there's at least one prequel that was better than Rogue One. Yes, I'll leave wow. it to you okay. to figure okay. it We're out. To be continued. <laughs> uh, uh, where we're going, we don't need roads. Zoom to be continued. Excellent. Um, but hey, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to us on your podcatcher. Um, we are on iTunes, uh, TuneIn, and Stitcher, as well as um, the Star Wars app on the uh, Google Play Store. And if you can go, I know iTunes is kind of a pain, um, but if you can move over to it and leave us a uh, written review preferably five stars that helps us out a ton and we always make sure to thank everybody and, and read those out on the show so that would be much appreciated um, so thanks again and never forget as I almost forget let the Wookiee win
you know, as long as he's got the big fluffy mane of hair. Oh, wait, did I just call you a Wookiee? Borgullet. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what movie it is that has a creature that reminds me of the Borgullet. I'm like, there's something with a creepy tentacle that has like a suction cuppy type of hand, like an octopus looking thing, but I can't place it. Maybe just an octopus? I don't know. It's some kind of sci-fi film. I want to say it's like the, 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 the arm is coming out of somewhere and we're not able to actually see the creature at first. I don't know, but God, that poor girl, it was, was it finding Nemo? No. an octopus in Finding Nemo. Okay. It was definitely not Finding Nemo. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know then. I don't know. And it wasn't Day of the Tentacle either, although <laughs> that would be a good LucasArts <laughs> reference. Ooh, ooh. Maybe it was the, um, which was the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean that had the, the Kraken. No, that would be too big. That's what she said. Okay, so... Oh, oh God. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> so we've got... This party's over.